You know, for since the dawn of time, as long as people have been wandering around on this planet, there has been a desire for influence. But the pursuit of influence today has taken a turn. It used to be that people sought influence so they could really make a difference in the lives of those around them. They, if, if they could make positive change, they would make it. If they needed to establish things, they would establish them. And if things needed to be secured, people who had influence secured them. Why? So that other people could have freedom and the opportunities to make their dreams come true. But today, with the rise of social media, things are different. Establishing and wielding influence today is a job. Hence the title, influencer. Have you heard about this new workforce? The influencers, these are people who use their power to sway others to buy and use products that they market. Influence is still as it always has been, a means to an end, but it is not principally the end of the betterment of society, but today it is for the enrichment of the influencer. Now, it's easy to get swept up in that maelstrom, but the people who are seeking significance beyond themselves, people who aspire to live for God in his glory and to advance his kingdom come agenda, those people hopefully us, we must resist the pull and follow the path of those who have selflessly established and used influence for the greater good. Now, it is partly for this reason that we are studying the Old Testament book of Nehemiah. He, he is a hero of the faith, and his story provides for us a myriad of insights on how to live in a God-honoring way as we establish and wield our influence. Now, at the start of the story, there is no indication that Nehemiah had any desire to be an influencer. He, he didn't envision himself as a change agent. As we saw last week, the book begins with Nehemiah doing his job as the cupbearer to the king. That was his life's ambition, to rise as high in the king's court as he could, and that's what he did. He was essentially an advisor to the king. When his brother, Hakaliah, and some of his cohorts came to visit Nehemiah, Nehemiah asked them about the people and the place, which was Jerusalem, and he got some horrible news. The people were in disgrace, and they were headed for destruction. Not surprisingly, the city of itself was in ruins. The walls were broken down. The gates had been burned with fire. And that news literally brought Nehemiah to tears. And he did the only thing that he thought he could do. He was so far away in Susa. He entered into a time of solemn prayer and fasting for his people, and his city. And his prayer, which we looked at last week, 
surprisingly began with a confession of sins, his sins and the sins of his people. So why, if you want God to rebuild walls and reestablish the city gates, why do you begin with confession? Because Nehemiah rightly surmised that their current condition, the state of disgrace that they were in, was a mess of their own making. See, by God's grace... God had established what we sang about today, a covenant with Israel. The deal spelled, which was spelled out to Moses was that if they remained faithful to God, if they did not pursue the gods of the people around them, then God would bless them and keep them in the land that was flowing with milk and honey. But if they ever got too big for their britches and started doing things their way, pursuing other gods then the deal was off. God wasn't breaking the covenant. They were breaking the covenant. And that's exactly what happened. The people literally abandoned God and they were wallowing in the rotten fruits of their rebellion. Now as Nehemiah confessed those sins, the sins of he and his family and all of his people, God actually began to give Nehemiah a vision of restoration. Nehemiah, at this point, was distinguishing himself from his company. See, they were all dreamers. They all dreamed of the restoration of Israel. They all dreamed of a better world for their people. But with God's call, Nehemiah transitioned from being a dreamer to a visionary. Nehemiah went from wishing things were better to actually believing God was calling him to make things better. See, dreamers dream about things being different while visionaries foresee making a difference. Dreamers think about how nice it would be if things changed, but visionaries look for opportunities to make change. Now, it is crystal clear that during that season of prayer and fasting, Nehemiah began to look for opportunities to work alongside God to rebuild the walls, to revive the people, and reestablish Jerusalem as the city on the hill that would beckon all the world to believe. And the fact is, Nehemiah was developing a vision. And it's obvious when we look at the way he closed out his prayer in Nehemiah chapter 1, beginning in verse 11. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn. We're going to be in Nehemiah 1 and 2 today. We're going to begin looking at the last verse of chapter 1, Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 11. Now remember, this is where we are we get the signal that Nehemiah is starting to see that God has a vision for him. And he moves from being a dreamer to a visionary. He says, Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. I wonder if people would say that about you and me. That we are people who delight in revering the name of God. 
So he finishes up, give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. Now, Nehemiah had an idea. He heard about the disgrace, the destruction of the walls, the ruins that the city was in. He, he had an idea. He had an idea that he was going to do something. And he asked God to demonstrate that God was listening to his prayer, that God was actually on his side. He said, if you'll, if you'll give me favor in the presence of this man, then I'll know. That's the signal that this vision comes from you. Now, it's noteworthy that Nehemiah was convinced he wasn't the only one praying. You remember he said, grant your servant success and hear the prayers of the others. He believed other people were praying. He knew that other Jews shared his burden for the reestablishment of that city. But, not, but listen, not everyone who prays about an issue or who is called to pray about an issue is going to get a vision. Not everyone. Make no mistake about it. Prayer invites God to raise up leaders who will step into the gap to make a difference. And that's what the community was praying for. The collective prayers, including Nehemiah's, of all those who delighted in revering God's name led to God choosing Nehemiah to embrace this particular burden as his destiny. This burden would define Nehemiah's life. The result was that Nehemiah, in response, made himself available to God, and if God would do what only God could do, which was give him favor with the king, then Nehemiah would step through the door that God opened and engage. So Nehemiah understood that for him to make something happen in Jerusalem, God first had to make something happen in Susa, in the heart of the king. Now, we should note that, by the way, Nehemiah didn't pray for a miracle, as we often do. It's actually never listed in the story that Nehemiah prayed that the walls would be rebuilt. It's not something he did. He prayed that God would give him an opportunity. Just an opportunity. And when, when you think about all the people around you whose walls are broken down, who are in the state of disgrace, who are hurting, do you pray for God to fix that or do you pray for God to give you an opportunity to work with him to bring about the change that God envisions? That's what Nehemiah did. Do you remember the prayer? Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the eyes of this man. And by the way, by saying this man, Nehemiah was right-sizing King Artaxerxes. He was the most powerful man in the world, and large swaths of people throughout the world believed him to be a god. But Nehemiah said, give me success by granting me favor in the presence of this man. 
It was a declaration of faith that God is in control. Now, an interesting thing happens. Look at Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 1. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before, so the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you're not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of the heart. Now listen, it is quite obvious in that moment that God has answered Nehemiah's prayer. This was the moment that Nehemiah had prayed for, and it happens in the very next verse. In chapter 1, verse 11, he prays the prayer. In chapter 2, verse 1 and 2, God answers it. But did it happen that day as Nehemiah prayed? Do you remember he said, give me, give me success today? Did it happen? Well, there's a time stamp in verse 1 of chapter 2. What does it say? In the month of Nisan. What does that tell us? Well, that's not the month that Nehemiah originally prayed the prayer. Chapter 1, verse 1 begins this way. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa. So understand what happens here. Nehemiah receives this devastating news about what's going on with his people. He, he begins to fast and pray immediately. He puts everything else on hold. He falls to his knees. He gives up food. He begins to fast and pray in the month of Kislev. Then in chapter 2, God gives him favor, opening the door of opportunity with the king in the month of Nisan. What, what does that mean? It means that God finally opened the door, listen, four months later. Four months later. It's just one verse, but it's four months later. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. For four months, that prayer was unanswered. And I don't think Nehemiah just prayed it one time. I think every day when he dreamed that this might be the day, he would pray, God, today give me favor in the presence of this man. Now, there is no doubt that he was in the presence of the king frequently. He was his cupbearer. And there's no doubt that Nehemiah was incredibly impatient to get this vision off the ground. But you know what he wasn't going to do? He wasn't going to kick the door in himself. That's kind of where we go, right? God gives us an idea, we have a vision. We're just going to make it happen. But Nehemiah had the wisdom and the restraint not to kick the door in himself. He was going to wait until God opened the door. Why? Because if God doesn't make the way, there is no way. So he waited. 
And he waited. And he waited. And he prayed. And he prayed. And he prayed. How long do you pray? When God gives you a burden, calls you to prayer, do you persevere in that prayer? Or if, if God doesn't answer the prayer, like you pray it so specifically, God, today let this happen, and it doesn't. Would you be faithful to pray it tomorrow, and the next day, and the next day, and the next month, and the next month, and the next month, and the next month? Four months. And by the way, I think this vision was God's idea. What was happening? Why the delay? Well, I think there are three things that happened as Nehemiah prayed and waited that we can learn from as we wait on God to move, to help us make sense out of the nonsensical, or to maybe rebuild the walls or the burned out gates of those people we love. First, I, I want you to see that the delay validated the vision. Okay, we would think it goes the opposite way, right? If God makes it happen right now, then that's a validation for the vision. But it was actually the delay that validated the vision. Waiting confirmed for Nehemiah that this was indeed God's vision. Now, let, let me give you some facts about a vision that God, visions from God. They rarely, if ever, require immediate action. What those visions require is patience and prayer. Now, why is that? Because not every good idea is vision material, although every vision begins as a good idea. Not all burdens are vision material, although all visions begin as burdens. Okay, we, we encounter burdensome issues and come up with good ideas, maybe even great ideas all the time. All around us, there are more burdens than we can carry, and within us, there are more ideas than we can pursue. And they don't all lead to God's vision for our lives. When a burden or an idea captures our imagination, then we must do exactly what Nehemiah did. We must pause and we must pray, seeking God's wisdom to help us distinguish between what we should support through prayer, which is all the burdens. We pray about everything. We need to figure out if it's something that we need to support through generosity. When is the burden and the idea something that we should support? And when is it something that we should give our lives to through action? Those are two different scenarios. Now, the difference becomes clear over time. 
Okay, if, if a little bit of time passes and you're no longer inflamed with passion for the problem or obsessed with the idea of executing your idea, then you can safely assume that this issue does not represent your destiny. Your time wasn't wasted because you prayed about it. And as we learned, those other people who were praying for Jerusalem, God did hear their prayers. God did respond. He responded by tapping Nehemiah and saying, this is your job. And their prayers helped. Listen, it's never a waste of time to pray. Even if it doesn't end in God mobilizing you for what you're praying about. The fact is that God hears our prayers and answers them. He might just not answer them in a way that we can directly see or in a way that we anticipate. All those people praying for Jerusalem and God called one. God may not always respond by calling you to the task, but he always responds. But if the burden or idea is for you, then your passion will grow. Your vision will mature as time passes. It won't fade to the back. It actually begins to dominate your thinking. That's exactly what happened with Nehemiah. Do you remember how the issue was affecting him after four months of waiting? Look at verses 1 and 2. It says, I had not been sad, look at the end of verse 1, I had not been sad in the presence before, so the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of the heart. I was very much afraid. Now, Nehemiah wasn't sad because God wasn't answering his prayer. He wasn't pouting because he hadn't gotten a clear definition of what he was supposed to do. The fact is, after four months, his heart was broken because the burden was still burdensome to Nehemiah. His vision, his desire to do something, had only intensified. That, that's what I call the ripening of a vision. When we have a burden or we get an idea, there's an element of excitement to it initially, right? We, we get excited. This is something I could do. I could give my life to it. We're, we're energized by the idea of doing something great. But during the ripening phase of that vision, we actually become sobered by the challenge. It becomes, it looks daunting. And the difficulty that we experience getting the vision off the ground, think the four months for Nehemiah, 
that difficulty actually prepares the visionary for the difficulty he or she will face when they're implementing the vision. Listen, you, you, you need to understand this. If it's something that God is calling you to, there's going to be resistance. It doesn't mean that pursuing God's vision for your life is going to be like tiptoeing through the tulips. It's not easy. Remember, it's a burden. The world is hard on vision. Vision is about change, and most people aren't interested in change. The resistance is at least taxing and even potentially paralyzing for the visionary. So he or she must be strong enough to stand up to the resistance they will face and that waiting time is training ground. It's the workout where God strengthens us for the challenge ahead. The period of prayer and waiting not only strengthens the visionary, but it strengthens the resolve for the vision and validates that this vision is from God. Second, I want you to understand that waiting on God did not protect Nehemiah from the anxiety of the burden. Okay, now this is really important. We, we, all, there's a lot of talk about anxiety and how to get rid of anxiety. And, and I know that God wants us to live with peace. But after four months of praying and anticipating... God calling him to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. When the answer to his prayer finally came, Nehemiah experienced two symptoms of anxiety. Sadness of heart, that's despair. And he said he was very much afraid. Why? You remember it was right when he realized the king was, it was after the king said, you, you have sadness of heart. What, what's going on, Nehemiah? It was then that he said, I was very much afraid. Why, why was he afraid? That's what he had been praying for. The king was literally inviting him to speak. God had literally finally opened the door. Why the fear? because he was about to discover if this was indeed his destiny. He had been praying, as I said, 10 times for four months. He was burdened. In that time, he became convinced that God wanted him to go, and now he was going to get the answer. Four months of wondering about what would happen. And he was about to find out. The burden weighed heavy on him. The anxiety was real. But it wasn't a signal that this wasn't God's plan. 
quite the opposite. It was inviting Nehemiah to courage. This sadness of heart and anxiety, the fear happens when we devote time to praying for something and those emotions, those feelings intensify when we realize the answer is upon us. Our destiny is about to be defined. I saw this play out firsthand when we were planning a church in Oklahoma. Uh, I was meeting with an army captain. He and his family had been visiting our church. His wife was a very committed believer, and he was not, not a believer at all. He was just going to be nice. And she who probably had been dragging him to church, had been praying for years that he would come to faith in Jesus. She was praying for the moment that I was there. And so as I was sharing with him, I could tell that God was about to do something because there was all kinds of resistance going on. I'm, I'm typically a guy that dogs like, but for whatever reason, their dog hated me. And so as I was sharing the gospel with him, the dog would just, out of, just come up and start barking in my face. And so I got her, her name was Marta, I got her to come in and, you know, go put the dog away, and she did. And so I got back to talking to him about Jesus and leading him to the point for him to choose. Choose you this day whom you will serve. It was a point of decision for him. And I was asking all the questions to be sure we were on the same page. And out of the kitchen, I would hear her answer the question for him. <laughs> and then I would ask another one, and she would shout. And he was looking at me like, I don't, why can't I answer these questions? And then as, as we talked, and her anxiety increased, she actually came into the room and just wouldn't let us talk. And I finally looked at her and said, D go. Like, do you mind? <laughs> but I understood she was fearful. This was the point of no return. It was exactly what she had been praying for their entire marriage. In in she was afraid that he was going to say no once and for all. And so when I got her to go play with the dog in the room so far away, I, I shared with him and he opened his heart and came to Christ that night in his living room. She was afraid and anxious, but that didn't mean God wasn't in that moment. That didn't mean God hadn't called her to pray. It just meant that she recognized the gravity of the moment. The presence of fear and anxiety doesn't mean you're wrestling with a godless vision. Quite the opposite. It signals that God is inviting us to choose faith over fear and keep 
going, as long as God opens the door, as long as that burden is real, no matter what emotions accompany it, it is God's. And God is entrusting you with an opportunity to cooperate with him to make change. He's inviting you to stop dreaming and live as a visionary. Third and finally, the wait gave Nehemiah a chance to plan. See, I'll give you a hint about what we're going to talk about. We're not just supposed to wait idly by. God's inviting us to activate, to prepare. Because if this is the vision and God does answer the prayer today, the question is, will you be ready? When the time came, Nehemiah was ready. Look at chapter 2, beginning in verse 3. But I said to the king, this is after the king invited him to speak, but I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? And the king said to me, what is it you want? Well, I don't know. I hadn't really had a chance to think about it. I wasn't even sure this was going to happen. Nope. Then I prayed to the God of heaven, God, I'm prepared. Work, go with me here. And I answered the king. If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. Then the king, with the queen sitting beside him, acting as witness, asked me, how long will your journey take and when will you get back? Well, I hadn't really thought about that. Nope. It pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. I also said to him, if it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of Trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. And may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the royal park, so he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall and for the residence I will occupy. And because the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted my requests. So I went to the governors of the Trans-Euphrates and gave them the king's letters. The king had also sent army officers and cavalry with me. You know what happened when God opened the door? Nehemiah stepped through it because he was ready. He didn't waste four months. He leveraged that time God had given him. And then when God opened the door, he stepped through it and announced the plan. Here's what we're going to do. And when he delivered, that whole plan pleased the king. God granted Nehemiah favor in the eyes of the king, and Nehemiah got exactly what he needed to carry out God's vision. Now, what would have happened if Nehemiah hadn't been planning as he prayed? What would have happened? 
Well, the king would have recognized this really isn't a big deal to Nehemiah. He doesn't really care because he has no idea what he wants to do. And he likely wouldn't have sent him. Because if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. Why would the king send someone who wasn't prepared? And why would God? Why would God? You know, the scripture tells us, study to show thyself approved. What does that mean? That means you get in God's word and prepare yourself for the time. For the opportunities that God is going to give you to advance his cause. Nehemiah's faithfulness to prepare was surely one of the reasons that God finally opened the door and Nehemiah was able to step into his destiny. I I wonder if you're prepared to step into your destiny. Your destiny is tied to what Paul said is the good works that God created in advance for you to do. God wants us to be influencers and to leverage that influence to advance his kingdom come on earth just as it is in heaven. But some of us, due to negligence and a refusal to spend time with God to pray, some of us are ill-prepared. God has a plan. Nehemiah taught us that we need to have a desire to cooperate with God and his plan to realize our destiny. Where does all of that start? It starts with a relationship with God through faith in Jesus. When Nehemiah's brothers and his comrades came and told him about what was going on. This, this, didn't, this wasn't the first time Nehemiah thought about God. He had a relationship with God. He was a devoted follower. And so because of his devotion, his faith in God, his heart was aligned He was spiritually sensitive to what God might want to do through him. That started because he had a relationship with God. Look, if if you're here today and you do not have a relationship with God, that's where your destiny begins. Okay, Jesus came here on earth to give us eternal life and abundant life. Our destiny is realized as we follow God's plan to enjoy abundant significance, influence for His glory. And when we have finished the job, God says, well done, my good and faithful servant. We step into eternity where we live in His peaceful presence but it begins with faith in Jesus. 
That's where it starts. Just like my friend in Oklahoma who is a fruit-producing disciple today. He came to the point of decision that we all need to come to. What will you do with Jesus? Do you believe? Do you have a relationship with Him? How do we start one? It begins by knowing the story, the gospel story. The good news is that God sent His Son Jesus because He loved each of us so much that He wanted to connect with us for eternity. And Jesus obediently came, lived a perfect life, submitted to the horrors of death on the cross, died for us so we could be forgiven for our sins. Three days later, God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, raised him from the dead so that we could conquer our greatest enemy, death. So we can live. Life, abundant, eternal, begins with faith in Jesus. if you are a believer? Have you discovered God's vision, His destiny for your life? If you don't know what it is, start with faith. Pray to God that He would reveal it. Listen, step into it soberly. It's not easy. But it's the only way to joy and significance. The road of the visionary comes with fear and heartache. But if you choose faith, you can step into the destiny for which you were made. Just like Nehemiah. And as we're going to see, the world changed because he embraced God's vision for his life. God, thank you so much for your goodness. Lord, thank you for calling Nehemiah. Thank you for teaching us how to be sensitive to what you're calling us to do. Lord, I, I pray that each person in this room has a personal faith in Jesus Christ. And if not, Lord, I pray today they would choose faith. They would celebrate your grace by following the leadership of your Holy Spirit to trust you. And Lord, for those of us who believe, I pray that we would live triumphantly, victoriously in the vision that you have for our lives. It's in the strong name of Jesus that I pray.